Lord Jesus, you have gathered us together this morning like so many lepers in need of healing. And we have come before you with cries for mercy. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. What a gift it is to know that you are the God who heals us by your word. And so as we gather around your word now, we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, bring healing to our bodies, our souls, our very hearts, that we might rejoice in your goodness and the health of your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so the closing lines of this passage, Jesus sends away the one who came back to give thanks and says, Go, your faith has made you well. Faith. Does anybody remember last week's sermon and what we were talking about? The, the apostle said to the Lord, increase my faith. Yes, increase our faith, the apostle said to the Lord. So that was the, the whole focus. Faith is an increase in some measure in knowledge, but also that next important step of, of faith as that knowledge begins to transform and be embodied in our lives. And then faith, which ultimately is a surrender to Jesus, because we, we find that we can't do everything perfectly. Faith as an ultimate trust in Him. So we're talking about faith last week, and then this passage comes together, and the closing lines, Jesus says, Go away, your faith has made you well. So you can see some continuity between these scripture readings from last week and this. Um, I want us to begin thinking, uh, even in terms of the anthem, which says that God heals us by his word. The word, of course, being Jesus Christ, our Lord, but also the word printed as it contains the testimony and witness to Jesus Christ. So this morning we're coming to this passage, this very short passage, which probably sounds very familiar to you. Anybody ever heard the story about the ten lepers who were healed? And only one comes back and says, thank you. And you, we have to remember, okay, it's important to give thanks. Anybody heard that story before? Okay. Right, so we, you know, the punchline's out there. We need, we, of course, we need to give thanks. Who among us doesn't ask God for any number of things? And receiving some of those blessings just goes right on about our day and forgets that moment of gratitude. I'll raise my hand first because I, I do that all the time. Okay, that, that's there, that's on the table. But what I think this passage this morning does for us is it enables us to see just the incredible magnitude of what Scripture affords us. The, I think, I hope, that at the end of the sermon, you'll have a better understanding of how to read your Bible. Because this one little passage contains so much. There's a guy named um, Erasmo Lieva Marikakis who wrote a book on discipleship. And in that book on discipleship, he sort of cherry-picks some little stories throughout the gospel that he thinks highlight important aspects of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And in the, in the introduction to that book, he says, now, if you were going to be critical of this book, you would probably ask me, and rightly so, why didn't you talk about the cross? Why didn't you talk about the resurrection in this book? Why didn't you talk about some of these very foundational elements? He says, I'm not trying to write a comprehensive book on discipleship, just trying to highlight a few aspects of it, and I think these passages do that. But then he says this. 
If, in fact, you want to be a disciple, read the entirety of the gospel, because that's how you learn to be a disciple. You read the gospel over and over. But he said, what you will also discover is that when you do that, each little story somehow contains the entirety of the good news within it. So the whole gospel is important, but each little story contains the whole of the larger part within the, the, the smaller of the two. And so this morning, I want us to approach this little passage, which you've heard a bunch of times, and you know you're supposed to be thankful, but I want you to hear it perhaps in a new way. Okay? So we can come to this passage and learn how to read the scriptures, and first of all, I want you to hear this word to you this morning as a personal word. As God's word directed, not just in general, but to you. You know, we're talking about elders, uh, you know, and next week we'll have a, um, a time when the elders come forward and are approved, and then we'll install them later, probably early next year. But we ask them if they believe the word of the Old and New Testaments to be God's scripture, God's holy word, and God's holy word to you. Right? So this is a personal gift from God. This story this morning, God wants you to hear it. Not just Marie, or just Michael, or just John. God wants you to hear this word. And so let's think about how we begin to receive this as God's word to, to you personally. Okay, the passage opens with this line. On the way to Jerusalem... He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. There's a destination in mind from the very start. There is a goal. There is a place where this passage is taking us. It is Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem mean? The city of peace. <coughs> the city of peace is the destination. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, we see that at the end... The holy Jerusalem, the holy city of God, comes down from the heavens to the earth. That's the ultimate destination for you. That's where you're going. Into God's kingdom, into God's holy city, into the city of peace. Your whole life has a trajectory. And regardless of where you are right now, because there's people at all different places in their lives, that's the ultimate destination. So this passage opens with a goal, where you're going in Christ. The city of peace. This passage also has a road. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. He's on the road. Has anyone ever heard the old cliche of your life being a journey? <laughs> ever? Yes? Okay, your life is a journey. You're on this trip. You're on this voyage. You have a destination in mind. But you are going along the road. And this road apparently has villages. On the way... To Jerusalem is passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, these villages are places where you might stop and settle in for a little while, a place that you might visit, a place where you go for refreshment, a place where you rest. Perhaps it is a season of your life, these villages along the way to that final destination. What season of your life are you in? Where do you find yourself? Are you in high school or middle school like these guys? Are you in elementary school? Are you retired? Are you at work? What are you, where, where are you in your life? You can understand this village as your present location on the journey of life as you make your way 
to the city of God. Now, as this begins to unfold, we see the most important fact uh, highlighted. As you understand this as God's word to you, Jesus is present on the road and in the village. He is the beginning and he is the end, that final destination. And he is everywhere in between. He's like, jo uh, he's like Jacob's ladder. You remember that story? Well, Jacob's ladder is Christ. And Christ is at the top, and Christ is at the bottom, and he has every rung in between, sort of its own journey to the city of heaven, to the city of God, right? Um, so, so here it is. Jesus is in this journey with you. In the particular village in which you find yourself, that whatever season, whatever moment, whatever week, and he's leading you somewhere. This is God's word to you. And what do we see happening? Well, we see lepers standing there. As he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers. The scripture says that they stood at a distance, and they cried out to him with a loud voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, let's get a few little important things out in, in front of us. So, leprosy, right? In the ancient world, it's a terrible disease, uh, a, a fearful disease. It was highly communicative. Um, if you had leprosy, your, your skin would begin to fall away and rot. Appendages would do the same. Fingers, nose, ears. Sometimes it would, I mean, it would work its way in. It was really awful. Uh, again, it was easy to transmit. And so, it wasn't just a disease of the body, it also came with social isolation. Because as soon as you had leprosy, you lost your whole life. If you stayed in the house with your family, guess what's happening? They're getting it too. You had to leave your home, you had to leave your community, you couldn't go to the marketplace, you couldn't go to worship, you couldn't go to work. Lepers were taken from their lives in town, in the village, in the fullness of what that looked like, and they were set outside the village. They often lived in caves, and naturally enough, why were there ten lepers? Because they formed a community. And they helped each other, and they bandaged each other, and they were together. So as Jesus approaches this place, ten lepers meet him. Now, since the beginning, leprosy has been seen and understood in the church as analogous to sin. Because what it does outwardly to someone with leprosy, sin does inwardly to us. It causes us to rot from the inside out, to fall apart, for our lives not to hold together. So you can see the, the images. And so, we see Jesus coming, we see the lepers crying out, we see Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest." Now, here's another important aspect that isn't blatantly obvious to us, but it was to them. The way that a person re-entered society, if they were healed of their disease, leprosy or, or others, the way that they came back in and could be in community again, could live in the place again, could be with their family again, could come to worship again, could get a job again, could do anything again, was they had to go show themselves to the priest who would declare them to be ritually clean. They will be healed. They will be cleansed. They will be welcomed back into the community. So when Jesus says to the lepers who were gathered there, crying out, Lord, have mercy, go show yourselves to the priest, what is he telling them? I'm going to heal you. You're getting better. 
But here's the thing. They didn't see that immediately. We've been talking about faith, right? Faith, trust. Apparently, they had to start walking towards the priest. Start walking back to town. Start walking back to their lives before they actually saw their healing occur. They had to go trusting that what Jesus said about them was true. That He was going to heal them. They had to do it before they saw it. That sounds a little bit like faith, doesn't it? Trusting in Jesus, trusting in His Word, trusting in His command. And as they went, they were healed. You know, sometimes we think about God's commandments as He's in charge, and we just have to do what He says. Like, we better follow the rules or else. That's not what the commandments of God are about. The commandments of God, as they come to us in Christ, are about how God is going to heal you, to heal your soul from the inside out. And so as you respond to His command in trust and in faith and do, and do what He says, do what He's calling you to do and go, you discover that you're being healed. Now, ten of them must have discovered this, but how many came back? Right, one came back, praising God with a loud voice and falling on his face at Jesus' feet and giving him thanks. The point of this whole endeavor, especially as it occurs on the road of life in particular time and place in life, on your way to be with Christ for all time in the city of God, the point is to be with Jesus. That's the whole point, right, of your whole life. But it's also the point in those small places. So actually, gratitude isn't just about coming back, you should be thankful. It is in gratitude that we come back to be with Jesus again. When you're grateful, you enter once more into the presence of Christ who heals you. It's not an ought to, it's a gift. Your gratitude to the Lord is a gift. And so, as you hear this is God's word to you, I want you, I want you to ask yourself this morning, what in my soul needs healing now, today, in this season of my life? What in me needs to be healed? And so as you ask that question, the passage shows us exactly what to do with that. Cry out to Jesus. Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. That prayer should sound familiar, shouldn't it? Mm-hmm. We've been praying the Jesus prayer, yeah? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Here it is again. It just keeps showing up. Cry out to Jesus. Have mercy on me. Then, after you cry out, you must listen. Listen to what Jesus says to you. And here it is in His Word. It's here in the Scriptures. But listen to what Jesus says to you by the Spirit. And then respond in obedience. We talked last week about getting facts straight in our heads, but then the the struggle of trying to live those out in our lives. So here it is again. Listen to what he says, but then respond in obedience and go in faith. And then discover that Christ is healing you as that happens. And give thanks. There's the pattern of your whole life right there. That's it. In this one little passage that, well, we know we're supposed to be thankful 
No, it's, it's your whole life right here. So we can, we can understand this personally. We can also understand this as a picture of the world. I don't know how many people have, have said to me in, you know, recent, I guess, years, right? Man, doesn't it feel like the world's just falling apart? Have you, okay, there's an amen in the Presbyterian church this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. Amen. There's a yes. Okay. Anybody else feel something like that? Amen. That maybe the, the world's falling apart? So this passage this morning shows us how to understand that, what to do about it, and how to offer it up. You know, leprosy is literally about a body falling apart. A body not being able to stick together as it ought. Not to be healthy, but to be pulled, to be separated, to rot from within. You know, we talk about polarization now. We talk about people being pulled apart, communities pulled apart, families pulled apart. We see that happening the world's falling apart. It's coming apart in pieces, just like these lepers standing by the road. Okay, so what do we do about it? How can we begin to enter in? Our particular role as the church is to see ourselves as the lepers. So when you see the village, that's a picture of the world. When you see the church... We're now at the margin, right? We're at the edge. I've been looking at some of the, the Pew research and polling data that's coming out, and I, it's like in 20 years, they predict that the number of Christians in the United States will be, that the number of people uh, identifying themselves as Christians will be about 42%. That's a pretty steep drop and pretty sharp change of things, right? So, so it's not too hard to imagine the village is the world. The village is where things are, are happening. And now certain folks, you know, get pushed to the margins a little bit. You know, the church is, in this, is going through this period in which no longer are we sort of in positions of authority or, or uh, power, you might say. But, but we're, we're slowly but surely finding our ways to the caves outside of town. That's where we are. And that's where, that's where it seems like we're going more and more. But according to this passage, that is, that, that's exactly where we need to be. Because it's real easy to point to the world and say, you're falling apart. But it's the particular role of the church to say, I can't heal the world. But I know the one who can. And my particular role within this is to ask first that he would heal me to identify the, the ways that we are falling apart, that you are falling apart, your sin-sick soul, mine, and to ask Christ to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us to be cleansed. And we do that from the edge. We do that from the margin. We cry out from that place to the one who heals and can transform so that we can be who we need to be in the world and bear witness with a particular kind of light, you know, as the scripture says, that we might be light in a dark generation. Our task, our role, you know, you can come to this passage and, and understand it for you, but actually you are being caught up in a much bigger story and we together as the church stand at the edge of the world and cry out and lift it up to God and ask for mercy. That's our role. You can come to this little passage you've heard a hundred times and there's the world and your place in it. 
You can also come to this passage about a town, a village. Well, it is also about Newland. It's about your town. It's about your village. Our county is small enough to be a village, right? It's about Avery County. That's what this passage is about. There's a road that passes through it. And there's one who travels that road. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shows up here in Newland. Jesus Christ is present in Newland. We're in Banner Elk. This isn't just a story about Jesus 2,000 years ago, and that's what happened then. This happens now. Jesus shows up in the midst of town. Jesus appears. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us in church. As we gather, maybe increasingly at the margins, Jesus shows up. He hears our cries. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with you. And so as we recognize that good news, that absolutely beautiful truth, um, we want to listen to the voice of Jesus, right? As we cry out, we listen to his voice. But there's also another set of voices that we can listen to as we think about Newland or Avery County. It's the voices of those who cry out. Because according to this passage, that's where Jesus is. That's the ones to whom Jesus draws near. So yes, we need to be crying out ourselves, but we also need to listen to the other voices who are crying out. Um, you, know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the church can be kind of rough because you know, we love to help people that we might think of as being on the margin in some capacity, as long as they cry out in the most polite way. But I don't know, you know, if you've ever been around children and if they want your attention, you know, do they always climb politely into your lap and smile at you and pinch your cheeks and give you a kiss and say, I love you so much, would you play with me for a few moments? <laughs> Often it happens because they're just screaming in the other room, crying, <laughs> a mess in the floor. You know, it, that, that's not how it works. You know, are you... a so I've been doing a fair amount of uh, premarital counseling lately with a number of different couples. And so in my reading, it's, it's clear that, in my experience, it's clear that we all make bids for attention. We try to get one another's attention all the time in a marriage or even just as people. And sometimes those bids for attention are polite and nice and winsome. But sometimes they're, they're rude or inappropriate. Or socially unacceptable, exactly. And so as we listen to the voice of Christ and we begin to try to listen to the voice of those who are crying out, do we, do we only attend to those who cry out nicely and politely? You know, people cry out to God in all kinds of different ways and none of them are really sufficient. The Bible says that we don't even know the words that we ought to pray when we pray to God. But thanks be to God because the Spirit is within us crying out to God with groans teed deep for words. If you want to live into this passage as the church, if you want to see Newland as a place where Jesus shows up, we need to, we need to be moving to the edge of town. I want you to notice who are the people that are crying out in whatever way that looks like at school. Who's the kid in your class that everybody laughs at or ignores or pushes aside? I promise you, 
in some capacity, they're crying out for help. You can be Christ to them. I wonder, who's the person at the grocery store who's marginal, who would be so easy to walk past? You could be Christ to them. Who's the person at work that has a hard time making it or making friends or finding a group? You can be as Christ to them. Jesus says, you know, when you came, you washed my feet, you cared for me, gave me something to eat, gave me something to drink. The disciples said, when did we do that? He said, when you did it for the least of these. The particular role of the church is to recognize that we are the least of these. And so we have communion with the least of these. And we together can be brought up into Christ as a whole. You notice, like, these people, the lepers, about on the margin, what do they need? They need a body that's not falling apart. We need a soul that isn't breaking down. What does Jesus do about this? He gives us a new body. Right? Who is the body of Christ? We are. It's the church. How might a person receive healing in their life? By being a part of us. How might you receive healing in your own heart? By being here with one another as Jesus meets us and heals us. What's the best thing you could possibly do for someone else? Love them and invite them to church. To be a part of the body of Christ, the new body that is being healed together. This is right here in this little story. You, the world, our role together as the church. Newland shows up in the gospel. So too does it give us a picture, a foretaste, like a present glimpse of the fullness of the city of peace that awaits. The city of God where all shall be set right. This passage gives us a glimpse of that. And what does it look like? It looks like Christ's healing, Christ's presence with us, and it looks like those who love Him coming back like the one leper, praising God with a loud voice and giving Him thanks. That was the two things it articulated. Praising God with a loud voice and giving Him thanks. The city of God, the kingdom of God, is about being with God. It's about communion with God. And where do we experience communion, perhaps in its most full expression in this world? Right here. You know the great prayer of thanksgiving that we pray every time? The Lord be with you, also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them up into the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. Communion is in this passage. In itself, a foretaste of participating in God's kingdom. Giving thanks is not a you should be thankful. Giving thanks is the opportunity to be with God. And finally, what we see here, whether it's in your own life, whether it's in, um, uh, in the world at large, whether it's in Newland in particular, whether it's our role as the church, whether it's a foretaste of the kingdom, in every aspect of the story, Jesus stands at the center. And so what we see here 
is a picture of the gospel as a whole, just like Lieva Marakakis was talking about. Jesus is at the center. Jesus enters in to the world, and he hears those who cry out to him for mercy, and he gives it, and he blesses, and he heals, and he transforms, and he reintegrates communities and families and societies. He brings it all back together with himself at the center, and we get to gather in praise as we all make our way to that goal where our lives come to their fulfillment in him. There's a whole lot in that passage, isn't there? And that's a tiny part of the Bible. Could you imagine what kind of healing God might bring to you? Through his word and the power of the spirit. I won't ask you to read the whole thing this afternoon, but I will ask you this. Before you go to bed tonight, would you go back to Luke 17? And read it. It's nine verses. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to heal the world. Ask God to open your eyes to the places where folks rest on the margins, where Christ already is. Ask God to give you a glimpse of his kingdom and of Christ at the center of all. Wouldn't be a bad way to go to sleep. Wouldn't be a bad way to live. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.